Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for war? Conspiracy Farm, go, check it out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, greetings and salutations as we wind down this year of our Lord 2019. I'm telling you what, man, this is going to be an excellent episode. I've been wanting to chomping at the bit to do this episode for a very long time, and there's no two other people that I would want to do this with. Riding shotgun, as always, my partner in crime, UFC Hall of Famer, eater of worlds, master of the tango, lover of ice cream, Pat Millichitz. How we doing, champ? I am doing great. I'm excited, Jeff. We've got, I think, the most substantial show we've ever done, and we've been at this a while. This is going to be fascinating. But before we get into it, ladies and gentlemen, we always want to appreciate your patronage of theconspiracyfarm.com. You can check out any and all of our archived episodes uh, with the holidays coming up. You know, you can check out the uh, online store we got there, T-shirts, hats, mugs, pillows of all things Conspiracy Farm related. You can go check out thebutcherbox.com, front slash farmer, for incredible organic meats, organic chicken, grass-fed beef, heritage pork, etc. Go check them out. Uh, chemicalfreebody.com, front slash farmer. My goodness, man, Green 85, you got to have it on your shelves, ladies and gentlemen. He has gut cleanse. He has recovery stuff, alpha male, etc. Go check them out, thechemicalfreebody.com. And, of course, if you want to roll with your Second Amendment, clean, utilitarian, and very stylish, ladies and gentlemen, very stylish, thec4.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thec4.com for your concealed carry clothing. And, um, man, I can't thank these guys enough. I mean, to preface kind of going back where this started with me, man, when I, everybody knows, or not everybody, but people who listen to the show, I was a big JFK freak. And along that same time, a friend of mine handed me a document talking about the Federal Reserve and the fact that there was more than one United States. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Just went down that rabbit hole, something crazy and something deep. And I kind of hit the wall. And, you know, Pat, not too long ago, you had a post on Facebook about the act of 1871. And that really kind of brought that back in my mind. And I was like, you know what, bro? I know the perfect two people to have on to discuss this. And the here, best two. Yeah, the I best mean, two. without a shadow of a doubt, man. Good friend of mine. I've never actually physically met the other gentleman, but Todd has given him nothing but kudos and high, high marks for his incredible work that we're going to get into today. We have Todd McGreevy and Corey Ebe. Tell me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's close. It's pronounced as if it was spelled I-B-E-I-B-E. Okay, Corey Ibe. These two guys, I mean, they have a background, and we're going to have them I mean, kind of say how they got to know each other. They've got into several incredible adventures uh, before they hopped on the radio. Uh, Todd was hosting a show. I, I'm going to let them explain it because um, they, they have a background. It's very actually similar to me and Pat. I was hosting my podcast. It's me speaking to you. Had Pat on several times, and Pat's like, yo, dude, let's do this other show, The Conspiracy Farm, and that's very similar to what these guys, the path these guys went down. Todd, Corey, thank you guys so very much for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm looking forward to it. It's fantastic. Well, again, you guys uh, you guys have a little bit of a background. One of you guys or both of you guys chime in a little bit. How did you guys link up? How did this incredible tag team link up? Well, this is Todd McGreevy, and I'll start off in, in – uh... Corey and I first met in 2012 at the uh, Constitutional Sheriff and Peace Officers Association convention hosted by Sheriff Richard Mack. And I was doing the website, the marketing, and Corey was it was an um, Orange County Oath Keeper member, and the Oath Keepers in Orange County were 
um, engaged to do logistics and pick all the sheriffs up at the airport and all the people volunteering. And so I met these uh, Oath Keepers. They rolled up on me at the airport and opened the door. And they were playing Iron Maiden as they opened the door. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, I think maybe they'll <laughs> get along with these guys really well. So we hit it off. Um, everybody there at the, at the CSPOA was focused on how do we hold this Leviathan government accountable. And many of us had come to the conclusion that you, you know, the, the sheriff is the, is the highest uh, executive uh, authority in the county. And then rather than worry about these these uh, top down elections, you know, left versus right, we need to focus on nullification, interposition, 10th Amendment, and the sheriffs are the place to do it, and peace officers, sworn peace officers. So we, Cor and I were gravitating towards this solution, if you will. And we hit it off, and I asked Corey to uh, be a co-host with me on a, a show I was on, Republic Broadcasting Network. It was uh, uh, done in Austin, and uh, I, I would do that here from Iowa, where I live. And uh, that was broadcast on the AM uh, terrestrial stations in, in Texas, as well as RBN Network. And it was called Common Sense Revisited. And I had Corey on as my uh, co-host or guest several times when we started co-hosting. And then about two years into that, we got shit-canned. Um, we got booted off that network. I'm not exactly sure why, not even worth talking about. But meanwhile, we said, hey, let's reinvent ourselves. And we uh, started uh, Agenda 31. And we, just, we started a website, we had a mission statement, and uh, we started podcasting live uh, on our own uh, platform, if you will. And at the same time, I was able, to, prior to that, I was able to get us a slot on the No Agenda Network, the No Agenda Stream uh, that you know Adam Curry runs with the No Agenda Show. Hey, Todd, do you mind if I read your mission statement real fast? Because I think it's very, please, very please to do. the heart of, of what do, you guys yes. do. Agenda 31 exposes government fraud, theft, and deception. Agenda 31 endorses peaceful enforcement of the Bill of Rights by the people of the several states. Agenda 31 explains how the how United States citizens have forsaken their capacity to protect their own rights. Corey and Todd engage with local, state, and federal government on powerful issues of identity, property rights, law, oaths of office, taxation, privacy, and more. Their approach is rooted in the very specific legal foundation of state citizenship. Listeners of the Agenda 31 podcast are challenged to take the lowest risks with the highest rewards. Your host wants you to know, and this was the dopest thing you said to me, Todd, when we first met, bro, what's your strategy to make a difference? And so, and due to the unique division of political authority in the United States, U.S. citizens are residents in every state and should not attempt to copy the strategies employed by the host of the Agenda 31 broadcast without first consulting legal counsel. Sorry, go ahead. That's our little cover-ass disclaimer. Yeah. yeah well, you, can, you can get yourself in deep shit trying this without being good at it. Oh, yeah. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. All, yeah. If you read the disclaimer closely, it also is hopefully educational about what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, that you, how you And so uh, Court and I started this podcast, and uh, we did it as both a kind of a creative outlet as well as a strategic platform to test this, this proof of concept that we were, you know, Corey was much more, uh, uh, had done much more research and much more boots on the ground, you know, having a strategy to make a difference than I had. But he, you know, got me up to speed, and we both have moved forward. And Corey, at a much uh, more intense pace than me, I pretty much was the producer of the show. Corey was the boots on the ground, and is the boots on the ground in California. And uh, that's the quick macro of my involvement. Corey, please take it away as far as your uh, thoughts. Yeah, well, um, as I, I mean, our first meeting, I thought what was really fun was you, Todd, were very interested in kind of the perspective of the ID that I had, because that was the first time you'd seen the uh, the ID. And at the time, I didn't have a driver's license. I hadn't had a driver's license for two years. And um, 
Uh, and so the the ID that I did carry was one that I created myself. And, you know, we've talked about that on the show. I think it's one of the most important documents anybody can have. I yeah, still do. Please explain I, it too to our to our listeners, because this is this is really important. Well, um, it, it's pretty fascinating here in California. There's an absolute war on being able to make these documents. For some reason now, people are just scared of it. All it is just um, it, it's just you saying who you are, doing it in front of other people who will witness and verify who they are, saying, yes, you're telling the truth. That's a notary. All, the, a notary, yeah. But you'd bring, like when I did mine, I brought two. I brought no ID of my own. Um, I brought two friends who swore in front of a notary that I was telling the truth and that this is my name and this is who I am. And that's all the document is for. It, it, it's not a license to do anything. It doesn't grant you rights of any type. But imagine a time period here in the United States before, and I use that term uh, <laughs> in its national character. We'll get into that in yes, just a minute. Yes, very important. Um, but if, if you're in one of the states, uh, let, well, there was a strong relationship between Iowa and um, – uh, California, so early on. So let let's just say we are in 1845, uh, or let's go 1865. <laughs> that way, California's in the Union, um, and somebody near Davenport uh, is going to head out to California. And they now, of course, things go really slow. But how would you identify yourself? What what are some of the ways that you would do it? That that's where the idea came from to even search. Like, how would people do that? There was right. a number of different ways that people would identify themselves, and none of those documents. It, it was really anywhere from, you know, the family Bible. Some people would use that as identification. Uh, you could make a note, get a letter from a bank. There was all sorts of different ways of making an ID that fit with the common laws of England, which is where I termed this common law ID. So I made an ID that was, um, you know, it works for today's world, but it fits within the laws of just saying who I am and, you know, my I'm my status as I'm a citizen of California. Does one of the particulars and all of that. Pardon does me? That, does it does it have an address on it? It does not. Address? No, it, it, it does not. It does not have an address or anything like that. So it just, describe it a little. Yeah. Describe it a little bit more. Is it just a picture of you and your name? Yeah, it's just imagine kind of basically the information on a um, uh, like a passport, really. I mean, your passport just has who you are and signatures bearer and, and your citizenship. It, it, it's similar to a passport. When I made my very first one, you know, I've, I've gained a lot more knowledge now than I had back then. And so there was some extra stuff in there that isn't really all that necessary. Um, what we'll do is get you a picture of the ID. I know we have one on yeah. Agenda 31, and if not, we'll get you a picture. We also made a video of how to make one. It's really simple. It's just a piece of paper that has your signature on it. You can put your picture on it if you want to, um, and then it just says who you are. That's it, and you're doing there's it more, in front of a There's a little notary. more to it, Corey, in, in, in that by stating who you are, it's critical that you don't use first and last name, which is the typical nomenclature and titles on the uh, on, on so, government issued IDs. So I wouldn't yeah, want Pat right. I wouldn't want Pat Militich on mine. You would say g given name Patrick, family name Militich. Yeah, or surname. Or uh, if surname. You look, if you look okay. at your passport, you'll see your passport. Um, it uses given and surname, right, and then it right. says signature of bearer, not signature of applicant. There, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the passport where there's a lot of information there that. 
um, is interesting to look at for sure. Right. But when you're making a, um, a common law ID, if you were to use the term first and last name, then in my opinion, I, I don't have any place in law that I can show you that, oh, look, somebody made a common law ID. Because I'll give you a second. Ultimately, what we're talking about is something that hasn't happened in American jurisprudence yet. The, the final goal, the ultimate goal of this is to be able to exit every connection that somebody has with federal citizenship who is legitimately a state citizen and that they would meet the qualifications of what the uh, Supreme Court said in Texas v. White of being um, deserving or, or, or being the ones who are entitled to the fourth article guarantee of a Republican form of government. And what the court said is that those were the people of the several states distinguished from government. And that's a key issue of why government ID is such a problem. So and, one, one, what you've become as an Article 4 citizen, what is the other version that most people are? So I wouldn't say I've become. I, I was born, like if you look at, at how citizenship works, I was born within the boundaries of California, right, right. as stated in the 1849 Constitution. So by birth... Uh, generally speaking, I'm a citizen of California. There are ways to that somebody can be born in California and not be a citizen of California. To avoid the taxation, of course. Well, I, and also... That's let, let's just, partly yeah, in just. Yeah, but the... the um, uh, like, for instance, a minister from another country who was born in California, who has a child born in California, that child would not be a California citizen. And... So first off, and right in the 14th Amendment, it says citizen of the United States and the state in which they reside. So there's no question, like right in the 14th Amendment, that it even references state citizenship. The, when you become a United States citizen, it, it's not by geography, right? So you became a state citizen, or I, I'm a state citizen by the geography of where I was born. Right. But the United States, where where you get your citizenship, is a political um, creation of law. It it it's a legitimate political jurisdiction, but not geographical. And that's kind of the algorithm that I use for me to understand who it is I'm dealing with. How how do they derive their authority? And it's important to note that there are there's a duality going on at all times. Yeah, and right. that state of California is different than the one of the original uh, states of the union, California. And, and that the, the, the overlay we work with when we go to the DMV, when we deal with the IRS and we deal with the federal government, county government, you know, the elections are all federal, even though it's quote local, it's all federal. Um, and, be, and it's uh, manifested by all these entities we're dealing with have uh, federal tax ID numbers, even the courts, even the county, even the, uh, you know, the recorder's office, the, all of them, they all have corporate IDs That's in the federal jurisdiction. Point. I, I had no idea. That's a very interesting point. And, and, and all, go ahead, go ahead Todd. Well, real quick, I just for people about this common ID, let's tie that off real quick because there's so yeah. many things we can talk about. Yeah. Um, if you go to agenda31.org and you scroll down on the right side, you'll see there's a lot of stuff on the right there. But you scroll down far enough, you'll see how to make a common ID, and it's a link to subscribe for free and access to this page. And then we send you a packet of information if you subscribe. But when you land there, there's a 28-minute podcast that we did that's just a hyper-focus on the common law ID. Okay. And the thing I will point out to you that, you know, it's it's a it's one of these things that's like 
it's you're you're a trainer, Pat. You understand training. If you don't train the muscle, the muscle dies, and you yeah. have to train your your brain muscle to be self determinant. Why should this third party entity, this government entity, define who we are? Why do I need sure. this slave card, this piece of plastic, to tell the world who I am? It goes to the basic, very core of freedom. It goes to the it, very core of freedom. It does. It does. Well, and, it, it, and the way you exercise it, it's not like you know going to the extreme, the, the the higher risk that Corey has taken and I have taken with no driver's license. It's it's a lower risk of hey, I'm going to travel this weekend and I'm going into a hotel. Instead of showing them a, a driver's license, I'm going to show them my common law ID and strike up a conversation. It's kind of like when some of us have gone to pay for coffee at a coffee shop and you got a little millennial there and they <laughs> ask you for your money and you say, do you take Federal Reserve notes? And they look at you like, huh? <laughs> and you show them the FRN and they go, oh, I never noticed that. And then you know, next thing you know, maybe they're thinking about something differently. So you yeah, yeah. use your common law ID and they say, well, I have to have a driver's license. Really? Why? What is this? And you yeah. start getting discussion about this. And I've never been turned away at a hotel because of my common ID because I understood what I was talking about. They're looking yeah. at me. This guy's legit. You know, whatever. He's got a credit card. Let's go. Let's move on. But it's just that cycle of using one of the things. Corey did was, Talk about going through TSA. Well, yeah, that was another proof of concept. I went through TSA twice with the common ID. It wasn't a magic card, as Corey said earlier, but it certainly, you know, made people stop and think for a second and, you know, I had to get the full pat down both times, you know, but it, it proved the concept that you do not have to have a government issued ID to get through that checkpoint. It is. And I had that. I had that happen to me by accident a couple times traveling. I had to use my uh, concealed carry with my picture on it and they gave me the full pat down. So you're you're correct. Well, your concealed carry is government issued, though. True. Thank you. So, so that is that. a government issue. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that yeah. ties you back into Texas when you got that concealed carry. They said, are you a U.S. citizen? What's your social security number? And that, you know, that's another, you know, just you're in, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, before, and, and, go ahead, Todd. I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. So there's, there's some, there's some help at, at our website regarding common law ID that can help and, people. And I'll add just one more comment to the common law ID. The whole reason why um, the driver's license, for one, is such a, a problem. It's a bargain. In uh, the oral arguments of Birchfield versus North Dakota, Justice Breyer discusses the bargain that one enters into when they get a driver's license and even discusses what the consideration is. In other words, you waive a whole bunch of rights and in return you get a license. He straight said that mm -hmm. in, in court. And that, that's exactly what it is. The problem with um, the driver's license is the rights that you waive in California, it is absolutely ridiculous. That case that I just referenced, Birchfield versus North Dakota, was a case that uh, the Supreme Court found it unconstitutional for a officer to draw your blood related to a drunk driving arrest or pullover or anything. You tell me now. <laughs> yeah. So, well, they found it unconstitutional, <laughs> but what the uh, DMV did was they just changed the application, and now you agree to submit to a blood test. Anytime they ask, they've worded it in such a way. So most, most people go, Oh, that's only if you're drunk driving. It's not true. That's not, that's not what it means. The way it's worded literally the, um, if you have a driver's license, they can come in through your front door. No, no warrant, no nothing, drag you out and take you for a blood test. Legally, that's the room that they have when you sign for a driver's license. They were doing that here in Missouri up until I think it might have stopped, but that was a big thing um, out in the counties. They were they were snatching up kids and, and blood testing them. That's wow. Right. So let me let me reel this back real quick, guys, I because um, 
you know, people are wondering what the, what the hell is this? Where's this hell going? Is this all about? Like, why are these guys so defiant? Why are they making their own IDs, going through TSA and, and, and risking driving without a driver's license? And, you know, when you Google, we talked about the, the two constitutions, the, the dualities that you guys are talking about, the United States Corporation 1871 Act. That's what I Google, right? United States Corporation 1871 Act. And com what comes up is this what I put on my Facebook, I believe. When Congress passed the Act of 1871, it created a separate corporation known as the United States and Corporate Government for the District of Columbia. The Act of 1871 put the United States back under British rule, which is under Vatican rule in parentheses. The United States lost their independence in 1871. That's the first thing that comes up on Google. Now, I'm not saying that Google's always right, but it's kind of bizarre that that's the first one. Well, I, I, I have a little bit different uh, opinion on the, the effect of what 1871 did, uh, okay. the Act of 1871. Um, as far as the government being a corporation, the, you know, the colonies literally were corporations. They've been corporations from day one. Sure. So Under there's... The Oh, yeah. in, right. In my opinion, um, well, not only my opinion, but one thing that I've found uh, years of of trying to figure out what is the truth. Right. That That's kind of been the guiding light is what is the truth? Um, early on, I was really deceived by a whole bunch of when I say early on, we're talking like 2008 in that time period. Yeah. Just deceived by people who were writing um, Patriot Nutjob stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I, and, wait a minute. Keep, Oath Keepers are Patriot nut jobs? Um, well, there certainly are Patriot nut jobs within the Oath Keepers, but the mission of Oath Keepers was something that really attracted me, and I thought it was right. fantastic. Uh, I, I, was, I was teasing a little bit. Oh, there. got it. Okay. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, but uh, because of, you know, anyway, I, I'm no longer associated with the Oath Keepers. I think the mission is great, but, you know, the, just the, the whole idea of rights and things attracts some people that can be a little bit nutty and, and sometimes you have to uh, um, kind of separate. So I don't, anyway, the, if we, to try so and simplify wait, everything. Sorry, not to interrupt you, but would you say to you, because you guys clearly state on Agenda 31, the peaceful resolution of all issues. And is there a, a faction of the Oath Keepers that are a little more hardcore than that? Maybe you're saying. Well, the the uh, founder of Oath Keepers was disbarred and was involved in um, activities that I'm personally not comfortable with. So, okay. uh, so you're yeah. saying he was an attorney who was disbarred? Yeah, he was an attorney, and you know, he I, I forgot where it was at. There was uh, the I think it was um, some cattle ranchers out in Nevada that were being uh, evicted because they hadn't paid a whole bunch of just you know millions of dollars in fees. And the Pardon? The Bundy Ranch, that might have been it. Oh, okay. Well, that's a pretty famous uh, case. Yeah. Um, well, the, the problem Clyde, was... Clyde the getting shot to death by federal agents. All that good stuff. Well, that wasn't the... I I, I don't want to misspeak because I'm not sure exactly which Bundy. one it was. But Bundy. anyway, he was it involved... Was the Bundy in, deal. Was it the Bundy deal? Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, right, sorry, continue, and I'm sidetracking you a little bit. That's all right. So... In a nutshell, to try and explain for people who might be wondering, like, what the heck are we talking about? The difference is the government treats you like a resident, and they want to for a very good reason. I'm a citizen, and I want to be treated like a citizen. There's a case that um, I, I – it's on my other computer. I'm sorry. I had to set up on my Mac here, but I'll, I'll see if I can find it, or maybe, Todd, you have it available. 
I believe it's Young versus um, uh, uh, Yale Manufacturing Company. It's a um, a case regarding income tax from a long time ago. It's been cited 147 times. There's no negative treatment to it at all. Basically, the summary of the case is the government is allowed to discriminate against residents. That's what okay. it says. Well, and, and, and so you're saying, is it a way of saying also, you know, a, being a resident as opposed to a citizen, a resident, you almost get basically charged to be here. Correct. Yeah. A resident is not a citizen. And in fact, in that same case that I'm referencing, which I, I really apologize, I'll have to get you the I'll, I'll get the link to directly to the case for you. Okay. And um, and I know I've uploaded it. The um, uh, the case says in the text, the court says in that same that same area where um, it's referencing that the government can discriminate against a resident based on income tax. It says the term resident and citizen are not synonymous. And that's really important to understand because when we go to the very foundation of the Constitution, what the framers and many historians have called the foundation of the Constitution, it's Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1. That's called the Comedy Clause. The entire purpose of the Comedy Clause was to prevent citizens from becoming residents. Hmm. And every government ID, every government program, all these different things that are involved. In fact, to buy a gun in California right now, the way the law reads, you have to convert yourself from a citizen into a resident. The, the, um, the way that they've done this is by making laws that are only applicable to residents. Residents have to follow every law on the books and citizens don't. So the law treats a citizen different than it does a resident. And um, and so when... So when the which is the 14th Amendment citizen, the resident or the citizen in that scenario? Oh, see, that now that's where people have been really duped. California state law at California Government Code 241B lists a United States citizen, which is didn't exist prior to the 14th Amendment. And I'll cover the definition of United States in just a second. Sure. Um, but that didn't exist. The 14th Amendment was legislation that artificially created a class of citizenship that was federal in character and is um, a United States citizen. Now, at the federal level, United States citizenship in um, uh, Jones v. Temer is listed as protecting very few rights and does not encompass the Bill of Rights. Also, you'll find at the federal level, U.S. citizens are considered by federal judges as residents in the several states, and they lack standing on many different cases. Hmm. A resident is somebody who is from somewhere else. Now, if you're a citizen and you identify as a resident because you want to just you know, pay the VIG and get along, um, then you, obviously you can be from California and be a resident by just saying you're a resident. But if you're from some place where the state does not is not obligated to give someone comedy, then uh, you would be a resident. That generally a resident means you're from somewhere else. So real quick, let's take do a mind exercise with the comedy clause. Picture in your mind the borders of each state individually. And only think of the states. Everything else is excluded. Territories are excluded. Every other country is excluded. The only thing 
in your mind is just the borders of each of the states. That is the area that comedy covers. If you're within one of those borders, if that's where you derive your citizenship, then you can go from state to state and enjoy comedy among states. Now, if you're a U.S. citizen, well, if you're a California citizen, obviously you know where I'm from, right? If I'm saying I'm a California citizen. Right. Todd, if Todd's an Iowan or a citizen of Iowa, you know where he's from. Um, gentlemen, I don't know where you guys are from, what state you're in. But... We're from Iowa also, but most Americans actually confuse Iowa with Idaho and think we grow potatoes. <laughs> okay. Well, we can <laughs> fix that now because anyway, continue. Grow potatoes. So Sorry. it's real simple to know where we're from. But if you're, you know, you ask the average American if somebody's a United States citizen, where are they from? And most often, people respond with an answer kind of like, "Well, a weather map. You know, the whole thing. I'm from the whole thing." And that is legally true, but it it's not correct when you're looking at it from the standpoint of being a state citizen. United States citizens, the only jurisdiction in the country that did not have citizenship where the legislative body could create this form of citizenship was in the geographical boundaries of the United States. Right. And the geographical boundaries of the United States were created by the, um, uh, the legislation that literally created the District of Columbia. If you go to the District of Columbia and just look up the boundary stones, the, it, it will show you the, the boundary stones were what they put up to mark out the geographical boundaries of the District of Columbia. Placed and those, by Masons, placed by Masons, of course. Uh, yep. Well, it, it most likely it would have been anyway because Masons were stone workers beyond right. their, their work with government. But um, the one side of those boundary stones says uh, like state of Maryland or state of Virginia. And then the other side, it says jurisdiction of the United States. And it's always been that way from day one. Even before Washington, D.C. existed, the jurisdiction of the United States operated in, in every state the way they talked about it. And the way that the framers divided up power is that you have a federal power and a state power. The federal power prior to the... Um, uh, the mutiny of the Pennsylvania line did not actually have a physical location. It, it existed, but it didn't have a physical location. And when the Pennsylvania line mutiny occurred, we were so close to losing the country. It's an amazing story. For anybody who loves history, you will absolutely love mutiny of the Pennsylvania line. It should be a movie. It's really fantastic. That's what resulted in the District of Columbia being created where the United States actually got geographical boundaries. Yeah. And when the 14th Amendment passed, it gave people the opportunity by just saying it, that they're a United States citizen, they were saying they were from the District of Columbia. Now, going back to that mind exercise where you're picturing just the states, the District of Columbia is not in those geographical boundaries. It does not exist in any of the states. Right. And, and that's how the court, uh, they didn't, they didn't word it this way, but um, basically the District of Columbia was not encompassed by comedy. So at the federal level, when you say you're a U.S. citizen, you're a resident in every state. There's huge, huge uh, motivation for the government to um, induce you to accept federal citizenship. And Todd and I have covered this on Agenda 31 over many different shows all the different ways that the government has induced everyone to accept federal citizenship. 
Give us some examples. Well, and Todd says all the time, I heard it, you know, it's through fear and intimidation that they do this. And the ignorance of the law, I think, is what really induces people to do it as well as fear. Because don't they hook you? Like once your baby is born and you leave the hospital, your birth certificate is evidence of you being a federal citizen as well as your Social Security card, which they issue from jump. So they hook you right out of the box unless you know otherwise. Starts from birth for sure. It it certainly starts from birth. Yeah. So let, real quick, well, let me jump in here real quick, Corey, because okay. one of the things that, that uh, helped me a lot with the, the nuances Corey's talking about is an analysis of the 14th Amendment. And that has been written about by many patriot nut jobbers out there. All right. There's I've seen near fisticuffs happen and, and meetings that I bet with, you know, fellow patriots over this topic. It's, it's very, very controversial. But the simplest way to look at it and please, Corey, correct me if I'm wrong in this is that when you when the 14th Amendment said that the federal government, sometimes known as the general government, all right, the, the one that was there to to enforce the the, uh, U, the state of the union, all right, the, the, when states join the union, if we if there's a dispute between people in the states or between the states, the federal government's there to, to adjudicate it. That that's was its original purpose, if you will, right. and to protect the borders and so forth. Well, when when they when they uh, put the 14th Amendment in place. The state, uh, if you were a citizen of Virginia, if you're a Virginian or a Marylander and that your state government, your, your, you know, your proper state government, you know, original state government was violating your rights, you could seek justice, seek remedy to, to enforce a Republican form of government with the federal government. Your, the, bill, the Bill of Rights applied to you and you had access to enforcement because of that federal overlay. That's what it was there as a backstop. But with the 14th Amendment, when you raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to be a U.S. citizen, it's like, okay, come on over to our plantation. Thanks a lot. Mm. Guess what now? We can violate you all the hell we want. You're in our world now. And, and the, every, Go ahead, Corey. Well, I was going to say in the 14th Amendment, an illustration that I like that works really well is it operates very similar to a religion. So when they ask you, mm. are you in the United States, when they're referencing any type of state application, for instance, California's DMV application <clears throat> requires you to state that your presence in the United States is authorized under federal law. And that, that's basically you just consenting to be in that jurisdiction that operates here in California. But it, it it very much operates like a religion. So if I were to ask you, you know, I, I grew up in a, a very strict religion, so I'm just going to make up a religion to not offend anybody. Let, let's just say um, if I were to ask you if you were in um, Brussels sprouts, I, Brussels sprouts, right? Like <laughs> in, instead of the name of a religion, like if you were in the Brussels sprouts church, neither one of you, like it'd be obvious right now that at this very moment, you are not physically in the Brussels sprouts church, but that would make sense if I knew that both of you were affiliated with the Brussels sprouts church. And, um, and, and it would make sense if I said, Hey, are you guys in the Brussels sprouts church? That church might be located in Florida. You guys are in Iowa, but now it makes sense to say, Oh yeah, we're in the Brussels Brussels sprouts church. And that, you're now subject to its authority because of you just, you know, willingly being involved in that church. Right. The United States jurisdiction operates very similar. The jurisdiction is here, right? It, it's federal jurisdiction. Prior to the 14th Amendment, that jurisdiction only had employees in it. That's it. It didn't have citizens. There, there mm. was no mechanism for it to even have a citizen. And you can find court cases where... Um, a court case, and, and this is why it's so critical to understand the three different 
senses in which the term United States can be used because a court case references that there, you know, realistically speaking, there is no such thing as a U.S. citizen, uh, United States citizen. And what he was referencing at the time was the federal authority. There are three senses in which the term United States can be used. Is Two that in the are, uh, Hooven and Allison versus Evat? Is that part of the substantiation that, of the three? Exactly. You can also find it in other cases. Hooven v. Allison, I believe, was overturned on other grounds. Okay. The definition still stands. And, um, and you can find this. The first sense is in the international sense. In other words, like if we're in Australia and we're talking about England and the United States are not getting along, you're referring to the nation, which encompasses everything. It encompasses every jurisdiction, federal, state, every territory. When you use the term United States in that sense, it's the entire machine. Then there's another sense of the term United States, which references only the several states. And the term several states is important here because we'll differentiate that in just a second. Would you use the term United States to, to uh, in the sense that it's referencing the several states, then you're specifically excluding the federal power. The, 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 the federal government does not um, is not included in that definition. And when it says we, the people of the United States, it can be correctly referred to as a nation, right? Because if you're a citizen of one of the several states, then you're a citizen of the nation. But you're or a citizen of one of the several states. Prior to the 14th Amendment, that was the only two ways that it was possible for you to be a United States citizen in that you're a citizen of one of the several states, which are United States, or you're a citizen of the entire country. Corey, with, with language being so important to this, would something like how United is spelled with a capital U or a small U, with United being just an adjective describing the states which are united under the Constitution, I mean, does something like that matter? So it, it might. I'm not an English major by, <laughs> by any means. I struggle with English. I've not found uh, what what I look for is when people say. He does not say, struggle with English. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> give me a break. Uh, well, it, it's it takes a lot more work than for me than the average person to try and get it even eighty percent right. right. But, That's why you almost had a case heard by the Supreme Court. But carry on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, the modest. The, He's modest. The question I have when people say that that matters is I ask them, oh, I'm not saying they're wrong because I don't know, but I ask them, prove to me, show me a case where that mattered. Hmm. And so far, no one's been able to show that to me, and I've not been able to find anything that, that substantiates that it matters whether or not the U is capitalized or not. Right. I'm guessing that if the U is capitalized, that that's going to generally mean something in the English language based on where it was capitalized and what it was used. So I don't know the answer to that, but I do okay. know that, I can reference it, it's very easy for me to reference now whether or not I'm using I'm I'm talking about the federal authority when I use the term United States, the nation as a whole, yeah. or if I'm talking about the several states. It becomes more difficult for the other side because the other side, they want you to pick either definition. They want you to pick either you think it's either the entire nation as a whole when they use the term United States, mm -hmm. or they want you to think that it's the um, several states. Right. They, it's usually nation as a whole and they try and make fun of you. I've asked the DMV hmm. for a, uh, a clarification on the on the term United States is used in the application. 
And they responded by saying, you know, every third grader knows the definition for that. Right? <laughs> Heaven forbid so, that there's actually three documented in Supreme Court cases. And, and the, the, um, uh, the, the thing about the, uh, um, the 14th Amendment, though, is, is critical with regards to I just want to drive that point home just a little bit more because it's 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 it per, it's evident and manifests itself every day in our lives. Think about all the travesties we see happening. Oh, there was a roadside cavity search. You know, that woman got abused by by a state trooper, you know, because, well, and there, there was no justice. Well, they just get away with stuff. They can get away with it. They can feel your balls at the checkpoint, Charlie, at the airport, and it's okay. You know, I mean, it, the, the layer upon layer, oh, you can't have a certain magazine, or you have to have jump through this hoop to own a, a firearm, or, you know, all of these things are, are evidence that, you, that, of course, you have no rights. You only have discretionary privileges. And if you pay the VIG, as you said earlier, Pat, you get to exercise those privileges. We are trying to aver, aver is a verb, aver, assert, convert, change, be recognized, uh, Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1, state citizenship. And it, it, it's, it's not a, there's no magic bullet for it. It's a, it's a long process. It starts with self-identification, like we've talked about with the common law ID, and it goes into um, you know, averring yourself and trying to make sure that you can get that standing. And Corey's been trying to do that all along. Corey, or, or somebody asked um, for some examples, and I'll get this. I had I actually wrote some notes here before the show. One of the first things that I started talking about in our, in our podcast was I was I've been in the courtroom in Scott County, guys, three times, three times where the judge said out loud, on, "No, I would say one was in Rock Island County, one was two were in Scott County." I apologize. The judge said out loud, "The Constitution has no bearing in this matter." <laughs> that's incredible. I, I mean, mean, that's incredible. I, I have it, it on tape, Pat. I, I snuck a USB recorder in and recorded it. What's what? that? I mean, it's it's just mind blowing. Straight and up, Todd, Todd and Corey, I have to ask you guys. Um, go ahead and elaborate on the cases first, and then I'll, I'm going to ask you something. Well, and, and I'm, I'm not going to the, what I'm going into is some of the examples. It's, I call it the proof of concept that we're not just patriot right. nut jobs making this <laughs> up. And yeah, you can point to some some Supreme Court cases, and you know whatever you can have an interpretation for the amendment. But when you see stuff with your own eyes and ears before you, then you you know that you're on to something. You know right. that this is this is this is heading in the right direction. Um, Corey sent a letter to the uh, Social Security Administration. You know, he talked earlier about he's trying to extract himself from all of these uh, situations, and they sent a letter back, and they said in writing, and it's at episode um, 44 on Agenda 31. Just type in ssa.pdf is what I did to find it, and it comes right up, and it says people cannot voluntarily end their participation in the program hmm. Hmm. in writing. Right from the SSA, directed to Corey. Corey had a very cogent approach to trying to say, I want to cancel the account. I'm done. And Corey has a unique set of circumstances because he was old <laughs> enough. He was old enough when he actually got his social security number that he remembered what happened and could articulate that he made a mistake. He was a teenager when he got his social I mean, he has a unique set of circumstances where he could aver himself and then went, Oh, we gotta let you know, sorry, you just it's the old uh, Eagles song, guys. There was also an abundance of security on the day that I turned in my, uh, when I went and met with the Social Security Administration, there was an abundance of security um, that was there because I called ahead of time and asked for a United States Marshal to be present for a keep the peace call. And uh, uh, that was that was fascinating. So per, per the going into a courtroom in, in jurisdiction, and this is something I heard back in the day that I found I thought was erroneous. Is there any validity to um, when you go into a courtroom and there's a yellow fringe on the flag? 
Is that anything to right. do with admiralty jurisdiction or acquiescing to the, the, the basically the federal Fourth Amendment gov- or Fourteenth Amendment government? Yeah, so I I think the uh, the fringe on the yellow the yellow fringe on the flag is very easy to determine um, what it is. It, it's showing you what jurisdiction is um, is the source of all the authority that you see, and it's federal jurisdiction. One of the things that you can do, and and I don't have anything other than observations on this. Mm-hmm. I I don't I think somebody who would know the law of the flag would be better for this, but. Um, if you look at when the president speaks, when the president meets with other countries, uh, and it's a, it's a setting where it's a nation amongst a family of nations, you'll see there's no yellow fringe on the flag. Hmm. But when the president is addressing the United States, um, then it, there is a yellow fringe and that yellow fringe, in my interpretation, is just showing federal authority, which coincides exactly. There should be a yellow fringe on the flag in these courts because they derive their jurisdiction from uh, the District of Columbia. I thought it symbolized, I mean, this is just what I'd heard. It symbolized admiralty or, or maritime law, and I have no idea so, if that's legit. Uh, well, you know, that that's one of those things that for a long time I read down that I bought a whole bunch of books on admiralty law. I bought all kinds of stuff and was really trying to uh, to follow that rabbit hole. And I'm 100 percent convinced now that that is a purposeful disinformation campaign on mm. the part of the government. You can even find there's a website yeah. called Peace, Peaceful Inhabitant. And they have my information, and I'm the only person I'm aware of to have ever been issued California exempt license plates. And that, <laughs> that's gangster, uh, dude. That is gangster. Group, <laughs> um, the uh, the website Peaceful Inhabitant, which presents itself to be, you know, a, a website trying to help people restore rights and so forth, purposely has the information, the basis upon which I got those plates is wrong. I've written to them to correct it and so forth. And now I've learned that that's all over the place. Hmm. So um, here's the thing with admiralty law. The law of the land are the common laws of England. Admiralty law does not encroach upon the common laws of England. But within the common laws of England, there is the federal power, which operates very similar to admiralty law in that it doesn't operate like we were taught in school. So it's very simple. To me, it seems like a very easy rabbit hole to get people to say, oh, look, they brought admiralty law on the on the land with this. And so you start going down this rabbit hole. I've spent hundreds of hours reading <laughs> about admiralty law and everything. And then I realized that, no, what what's actually happening is under the authority of the common laws of England and the Constitution. And now it's just operating very similar to admiralty law, but it is not admiralty law. Um it doesn't mean that the United States, the the federal jurisdiction, doesn't have a does not have authority to adjudicate admiralty law. It certainly does, but that's not what you're seeing in uh, state courts. You're you're just seeing um, administrative law that is it does fit within the common laws of England. So I encourage people if you're going to look at admiralty law. Look at the way the admiralty law and the common laws of England have split, right? The, where where that uh, dividing line is, and that's not changed. It's it's still the same. It's just it, it looks so much like admiralty law that it's very easy to waste hundreds of hours. <laughs> yeah, trying to figure that so out. on those exempt plates, you guys, real quick. If you go to agenda31.org and you type in exempt plates in a search, go to episode 38. 
And uh, this is back in uh, July of 2015. There's a, that episode has recounts his efforts to get the exempt plates. There's a whole section in the show notes, including his registration to get his exempt plates. See, this stuff would be fun to film. This would all be fun to film. Oh, great. It would be a great episode for our show, bro, for sure. And that's what I'm saying is, is us, us going through your coaching, gentlemen, um, Jeffrey and I both going and getting these IDs made is what I'm saying. Is, that's oh, that's yeah. a very good thing to film and explain. Absolutely. That'd be cool. Yeah, so, you guys got the – You guys got the back forward, yeah. so I wanted to go back to this because I had to bring this up before we're done. And I'm sure you guys have seen this, Todd and Corey. Uh, the gentleman that got picked up for, um, I don't know how many times he'd been picked up for fishing ticket violation or uh, no fishing license. Anyway, yeah. uh, he's clearly homeless. He's got a very long beard, long hair, pretty ratty, dirty clothes. And uh, he's in court. And he he was correct. I was sitting there before I even knew about any of this. You can tell the judge recognizes that this man's correct. He says, I have no Social Security number. I've never been given one. I am a citizen of the earth, and you have no jurisdiction over what I do. Um, I am simply living off uh, what the earth is giving me. No social security card, and over and over and over. And eventually she just gets up and walks out of the courtroom with all the other people in there, literally goes back to her chamber. And this guy, this guy follows her back. They walk <laughs> And uh, they walk him back there, and they have a, a little more conversation. And then he just turns and walks out of the court. And everybody's just watching him walk out. Have you guys seen this? I, I've seen it, but he was later convicted. And, and let's go through. Oh, and... He was. That's just that's ridiculous. So, but it's, it's actually not. Um, so let's, let's try and figure out where he made a mistake. You remember okay. that mental exercise yeah, we used earlier where I, I said, just picture the several states? And that unless you're from one of those places and a citizen of one of those places, you don't get comedy. If you're if you're okay. not a citizen, yeah, you're a resident. Yeah. That's it. And he didn't establish himself as a citizen of one of the several states. Now, I, I would I would tell you that the way the game is right now, you're nobody's going to win in state court. I mean, it's just they're not, one. I believe my argument has gotten has gotten good enough that they just don't show up to court anymore. Uh, when I get a, <laughs> I, I got a parking ticket, Santa Monica, you know, they, I fought the parking ticket through their administrative process, appealed it up to um, the superior court. The entire basis of the parking ticket was I'm not supposed to have plates on the car and that the plates are actually an indication of a crime, not probable cause of a violation. Mm. And so they didn't show up to court. Um, I recently had my car towed, uh, LAPD towed the car and part of the administrative process is a tow hearing. And I set up the tow hearing on the same basis that the plates, there is a criminal activity happening and they didn't show up to the tow hearing. So I get all of my money back. Um, I'm filing for sanctions against the city of Santa Monica. That hearing is on January 6th regarding a parking ticket. So the, 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 I guess the, the point is I've, I now look for areas where I make mistakes. They, they act uh, at the state level kind of like American Gladiator. You know, you're this 150-pound contestant, and you have to go up in these games against all these other people. But, just, press, but just pressing the button at the end doesn't seem to be that hard. 
Honestly, the if you look at the rulings from the Supreme Court, I find them to be incredibly consistent, even from like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Some of her decisions are incredibly um, uh, Scalia like. It, it's really pretty amazing. If you if you if there's a case that gets before the Supreme Court that gives her leeway to kind of inject her own uh, thoughts on it or where they're making sort of a policy decision rather than work dealing with secured rights then um, I disagree with her policy decisions on a lot of them. But overall, I'm very confident that if you can get a case to the Supreme Court on these issues, that you're going to have a fair hearing based on what I've seen before. Now, all the way through, I have they play the game at the state level dirty. They really do. I used to think that, oh, you just get in there and tell the truth and, you know, get your records set up and everything will be fine. You'll be able to do a case. That's not it. They play dirty. And so my game has gotten a lot better. You know, I'm, I, um, I play as I, I use the code to my fullest advantage. And, um, you know, we have access to legal resources now that uh, uh, make it amazing. The, it's no joke as far as whether or not there is a difference between a state citizen and a federal citizen. That is so easy to prove according to the court record. The difficulty is in how much the federal authority mimics the state authority to confuse people. Hmm. So when they say the state of California, you we don't know oftentimes if they're referring to a state of the United States or one of the several states. So if it's an agency that derives its authority from a state of the United States, well, that's really fascinating because remember we said the United States is located in the District of Columbia. If you go to, uh, let's see, it's... 541, I forgot the actual address, 441 North Capitol Way Northwest in the District of Columbia, you'll find a building called the Hall of States. And that's the physical location for the state of California's executive office, which under California state law, that sets its headquarters because all, um, all businesses that have, wherever their executive office is located is where they are located. And the state of California is a franchise of the federal government. Right. Exactly. And um, and so you can and you write in California Commercial Code 9307H. It says the United States is located in the District of Columbia. That's the area where you're referring to a debtor. And so when you one other way that you can see when you go into all of these courts is try and tell them like um, you, you could try this in in Iowa. This is just a, a thought exercise. But what if you guys were to create a contract between each other and you um, uh, you specifically write everything up so that everything is written to where you're only exercising your state citizenship capacity and that you're clearly identifying this contract to have occurred outside the geographical boundaries of the United States and is without the United States. In other words, you're not in the Brussels sprouts church creating this, <laughs> this contract. Right. And then somebody default on the contract and see if you can sue each other in court and tell the court, Hey, this is something that happened outside the United States. They, they have written it up where you always have to say that you're in the church of Brussels sprouts. Yeah. It's genius, actually. It, it, it is. is. It's wickedly genius. You have to you have to respect how genius it was for them to be able to convince an entire nation to give up the most fundamental right that the framers thought was the most important yeah. thing, and that is comedy and citizenship. And like I said, they hook that, you that, hook you from from birth. Sorry, Todd. Go ahead. 
No, no, that, that's the low risk, high reward we're talking about on the show on Agenda 31, where we try and over and over try and just beat up like, what can we do, everybody? Because just getting on social media and being a ca- keyboard cowboy, yeah. you know, no, all respect intended, Pat. You're you're trying to wake up people. I'm, I'm just, you know, but it's like, you know, what are you doing locally? You know, what what are you actually doing to engage? I went and visited with our sheriff, Connor, Pat, years ago. Yeah. And and brought up the the Bill of Rights with him, and this is before I even met Corey, and uh. And I, we talked about uh, the Bill of Rights and so forth. And he said out loud, actually, it was, it was at, a, at a public meeting, and I recorded it. I have a recording of it. He said, our rights are modifiable. <laughs> our rights are modifiable to a room of people. It was, it was the Scott County Republican Women's Meeting. He was addressing them was during the Obama administration, and it was the Second Amendment was really hot. They're going to take our guns was a big fear factor. And, and a lot of women were there worried about the guns being taken away. And he was trying to, uh, you know, and I raised my hand and, you know, kind of pinned him against the wall about, you know, the, the true meaning of the Second Amendment. And he said, oh, no, 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 our, our rights are modifiable. Imagine that. Words, imagine that. At, wow. that. at that level saying that, and that's not all cops, obviously, but imagine how many other people at that cops at that level doing it or judges who say the, the Constitution has no play here. What the fuck? They're well, red let's, in. let's try and get they in his are head. Red in, guys. They know yeah, what we're talking about. Let, let's try and get in his head a little bit when the officer says our rights are not modifiable. And, and they are for, modifiable. I mean, are modifiable. modifiable. Sorry about that. That the rights are modifiable. And, um, and I see this over and over again, both with people who are in law enforcement and people who are not. The code here in California, absolutely 100%, there is no difference. It differentiates between a citizen and a resident. Um, and it differentiates between a citizen of the United States and a citizen of the state. The number of people who do not know that state citizenship even exists is astronomical. It, it's amazing. The vast majority of people just can't even comprehend that it exists. So if you're dealing in a framework of only United States citizenship where you're a resident in a state, then that officer from that perspective is 100% correct that you know, your rights are modifiable. I mean, he doesn't even know that there's a state citizen, has no experience, never even asked the question, probably. And then the judge who said, hey, this constitution has no bearing in my courtroom. If you look at it from the point of view of, um, you know, positive intent, just it's tough. But if you try and assume positive intent with everything, well, now that judge is telling you the truth. The constitution in most cases, go to any traffic court, the Constitution has nothing to do with what's going on in there other than it's part of the nation, right? And the entire thing is operating under that. Kind of like if you worked for IBM and IBM had a disciplinary hearing and you start invoking, you know, the Second Amendment. It, it just – the Constitution has no bearing in that hearing. Right. Same thing with um, uh, with traffic school or traffic courts. The reason why it has no bearing with IBM is because you voluntarily consented to everything. Same thing with um, uh, Social Security and your driver's license. The predicate is that you voluntarily consented to it. The part that's never happened in American jurisprudence that I'm aware of is nobody has ever exited Social Security or the DMV driver's license program. And when I mean exit, I mean that they acknowledge they no longer you are no longer a participant in that program and that they no longer have authority over you. Nobody's done that and stayed in the geographical boundaries of the nation. People have done that moving to other countries and giving up their citizenship. Yeah, the expats, yeah. Right, but but that's that's kind of the uh, the frontier, which is what 
you know, I'm trying for me personally and then sharing with what I'm doing. Hopefully that will inspire other people to go, oh, wait a minute. I heard Corey bring up this question. And, and the idea is the question. The question is, you know, can can you make the government recognize you as a citizen and not a resident of one of the several states? It's that simple. It's in the code. It's all there. Um, but every single it's not simple. Well, it's been, because we've been it's been baked out of our DNA over the over the decades and generations. Except I predict when somebody does get the win that we talk about in court, um, they were going to go, oh, that was easy. But I mean, yeah, I was I was saying, button. yeah, I, I was saying to Pat, I, I mean, that is if they give any I mean, the reason and part two, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to it tonight, but we're definitely if not tonight, we're going to have another conversation how Corey literally I don't know if you're still doing it, but driving around with no license plates and uh, and, and and no license. Um, yeah, I, that's... I don't know. I have a driver's license and okay. I have license plates on my car. But anytime I engage with government on anything, it is, hey, these things are evidence of a crime. And so now I get pulled over. Um, I've been pulled over four times since I've had my license. And basically, uh, we can cover this in detail. There's a lot to talk about. But basically, so many rights were violated in court. I was charged for driving without a license that um, there was no possible way for me, in my opinion, I wasn't going to be able to avoid jail time. And I didn't want to go to jail. Uh, you know, I'd spend two years in jail while I'm appealing it. So I took the driver's license and now just show that, hey, they manufactured the consent. It's kind of like if somebody held a gun to your head and said, hand me your wallet, you handed them your wallet. But now they're saying, oh, look, it was just consensual. He, he wanted to give me his wallet. And so I'm articulating that the DMV, by use of the court and providing false information to the state, um, mainly that they had waivers of rights that they didn't have, that uh, that's what the state has absolutely wanted to avoid. So far, none of that has ever gotten on the record anywhere in any court hearing until now. Now I've gotten a, copy, a record of my complaint for this parking ticket hearing and Santa Monica will, as far as I know, they are going to have to appear for this. So sidebar here, guys, real quick, because this title, title of your podcast is Conspiracy Farm. And when I said that the sheriff was read in, that would denote that there's a conspiracy, mm. that these people don't understand. Corey made the comment, it's positive intent. And I, and I, he looks at the glass half full, way, way more than I do mm -hmm. with these GovCo uh, overlords, because he's <laughs> actually much more empirical yeah. and effective at getting things done. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out what went wrong and, and work through it. And there, I'll give him maybe there was maybe Sheriff Connor just wasn't read in, and he just knows like this is the this is pr the practice. Yeah, yeah. The Second Amendment says that, but you know I've gone through all this schooling, and they've been modified, so they must be modified. Yeah. And no knowledge of this discussion we're having now. So I'll give Corey that. So, but the question becomes, Corey, we've never really had this. I mean, maybe we have, but is there a conspiracy? Oh, I, I absolutely 100%. The people pulling the strings know exactly what's going on. That that case that I referenced a long time ago, the government knew exactly what it was doing when a, a state um, that uh, Young versus uh, anyway the the one the the case I'm drawing a total blank on the name at the moment, but the case that says the term resident and citizen are not synonymous. Mm -hmm. That was a case from a long time ago. And what was happening there was a state was taxing the incomes of residents of other states. I mean, it was a very complicated um, scheme right. to be able to, to raise revenue. And they purposely drafted this law in such a way where the law did not affect citizens. So they knew exactly what they were doing. And people at, at higher up levels, you know, that I believe fully understand this. One of the metrics or one of the kind of 
things that I use to determine whether or not somebody knows what they're doing, especially when we deal with law enforcement. The registration on my car, like when LAPD was towing my car the other day, and I'm trying to get the video from that, the the um, the body worn video. Um, the the officers, I, I told them, look, here, this is based on a secured transaction because I have the car registered to California 1849, right? Like it's registered. That's the name of the registered owner. And then I'm a lien holder on the car. So that qualifies as a secured transaction. So I told the officers, I showed them the registration and said, look, this is governed by a secured transaction under the state of California, the commercial code. Here is the location of debtor. California 1849 is the debtor on here. This shows the location of debtor. Could you explain to me how the United States is located in the District of Columbia? And you can get, I mean, you get a, an actual response from the officers that way, and you, and you just kind of use your intuition of whether or not they're telling you the truth. Right. If they if they have a few minutes, which 99% of the time they take a second and go, what the hell does that mean, right? <laughs> like you can, you can see them go, what the heck? And you're showing so, them 9307H? Correct, yeah. California Commercial Code 9307H. It just says the United States is located in the District of Columbia. And just and, a quick sidebar for your listeners, guys. If, at Agenda31.org, resources is in the main navigation. You go there, and a lot of things we talk about are linked there. Carry on. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the um, – uh, that for me is what I use to figure out, do they know, or were they just like me? Cause nobody's taught this in school. Of course not. Uh, I know, I know one of the things that I had a hard time kind of coming to grips with early on in my studies of, of kind of the country was that there was a government that existed before the United States. I grew up, uh, you know, educated in public schools and I thought we fought a revolution Then the framers put together the United States Constitution and here we are today. I had no idea that there was another government called the Articles of Confederation yeah. and that that government actually collapsed. And um, I was never taught that. So for me to kind of wrap my head around that to begin with was um, a little bit tough. And I think that's the biggest problem that we face as far as getting this information out is that. People, everyone trusts. It, it's your school teachers, your you know your attorney. It's everyone. Yeah. They they deal with all of this from the frame of reference that there only is United States citizenship. So if somebody can't explain to you what California Commercial Code ninety three zero seven H means, most likely they're just like everybody else. They don't know, and their frame of reference is the only citizenship that exists is U.S. citizenship. Well, and it's through so, Corey, fear and intimidation that they're able to keep this in place, like I mean, Todd has said many times. I mean, and the thing is, in listening to you, every victory you have, bro, is absolutely huge. Because, I mean, they they almost have to, like, not believe you or not substantiate what you're saying because if people down the line can, can go back to legal precedent of what you're doing to basically turn this on its head, if the masses start doing that, it's a wrap yeah. for them, dude. It's a, I mean, this just – the, the, the Matrix what, is a freaking documentary. This is freaking me out, dude. This is yeah, insane. Yeah, this is what I Todd and I talked about. This, this is what Todd and I talked about down at, uh, at Lopez Pizza uh, just the other day is, you know, I mean, I've always thought that it would come down to, you know, educating enough people and then enough people that have to file taxes – you know, who fi all file extensions at the same time and make demands. And, and right. I, you know, I don't know, you guys, can you elaborate on, because look, um, most shows talk about the problem, which we have to talk about. We have to establish that, but then we have to talk about the solution. We have to be at least smart enough to try and think of ways uh, to get, to get these things reversed. Right. 
Well, the, in my opinion, the solution is uh, somebody who is a fourth article citizen forcing the government to recognize them as a fourth article citizen. And that citizen also is able to play in the game, the Article 4, Section 4, which is the uh, guarantee for a Republican form of government. So that you're absolutely right. There is a ton of stuff. Now, imagine if it was very simple that you could drive your car instead of your car being a motor vehicle that it's actually just a vehicle. And that's in Title I, Section 4 of the United States Code um, versus Title 18, Section 32, which identifies a motor vehicle. Right. Again, California, going back to how important language is in all of this. Freedom of travel, all of that. Absolutely, yeah. So a, a vehicle is just private property that has the ability to travel over land. That's all right. it is. Yeah, could be a it, wagon. It could be a wagon. It could be, you know, it could be anything. So if you have a vehicle, which your car can be um, a vehicle. In fact, before the term motor vehicle came up, they they could have the way they've used a specialized definition for motor vehicle. They could have called it snake oil and it would have been the same thing. But by calling it a motor vehicle, you'll find like even when my car was towed the other day, I said, hey, this isn't a motor vehicle. And the cop said there's a motor in it. Right. And that's the definition that they use. And it's brilliant to trick people because everyone goes, well, yeah, there's a motor in it. OK, it's a motor vehicle. Right. That, that That's what's happened when the reality is whether or not it has a motor in it has very little to do with whether or not it's something that can be regulated by the state. They can force you to register it and so forth. In California, the law under 21052 of the California Vehicle Code the only cars that are required for registration are cars that are driven by employees of the state while in the course of business. That's what the law says. So the law is very narrow. The problem is a resident is so low on the political totem pole that it applies to a resident just because the code exists. And then that also goes back to the definition of the word state, right? Well, state, I'm using the, the term state in that case. You're, you're absolutely right. You always look at definitions, but if the code, there's a couple of things here. The code for California is the code of California in its capacity as one of the several states. I used to kind of think, man, there must be a hidden code. There's two codes. No, there's only one code, but the code can be bastardized and, um, and then very difficult to overcome in a couple of different ways. One of them is a term that I learned when I was up kite surfing in, uh, in Hood River. I met a guy who worked for the city up there, and he called it inoculation. Something that the city does all the time is they'll pass a, a, state, a city code that they know won't pass a constitutional challenge, but they'll leave the code unenforced for three, four, even five years. Then they'll start um, doing like warnings, and then they'll tell people, oh, this has been a law for you know six years, and people just kind of accept it, and they can get codes that they know do not um, qualify. They're just not constitutional. But if nobody challenges it, right. then it's enforced. The other question is standing. And, and I would encourage anybody, just go on YouTube, look for a Harvard professor just or any Yale professor, anyone. There's a bunch of YouTube videos that will give people, uh, they're usually two to three hours long. And it is the bar prep exam um, uh, video. Like it, it's, it's their... Um, uh, session or or speed. Oh, gosh, I'm. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's tutorial. It's a tutorial, yeah. A crash course on passing the bar, and they always have a section in there on standing. And I've watched about three of these. And one thing that I find fascinating is on a couple of them, the attorneys and these are Yale professors. 
they when they talk about standing, they completely leave out the concept of state citizenship. And then when a court is making a decision that involves state citizenship, the attorneys say, and the court does some weird thing, like some mental weird gymnastics to come up with whatever standing they want. That That's how the attorneys have done it. They, I, I honestly believe he does not know about state citizenship. And I can tell you personally, I've brought up state citizenship with numerous attorneys and they look at me like, oh no, uh, I, 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 article, actually, when I bring up Article Four, Section Two, Clause One about people of several states and state citizenship, they just they go, oh, I don't know anything about that. I'm not interested. In that. <laughs> Jesus Lord. And I, I can tell you, when I first started getting to know Corey, and I was at a, uh, a function at Augustana where I went to college, and a guy I used to play soccer with there was there because he was on the uh, alumni board. He um, was a judge in Missouri, and I had known that from somewhere. And I went up to him and I pitched him on what Corey and I were talking about: this duality of, of state citizenship versus federal citizenship. And he looked at me and said, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's true. He said, good luck getting the judge to uh, uh, rule on it. Wow. These are these are these 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 tells as I'm learning this stuff. I'm like, wow, there's something here. There's, you know, right. it, it's yeah, it's and, a I mean, rigged Corey, system. It's rigged. It's rigged. So, <laughs> so um, I mean, listen, guys, you know, me listening to this for almost an hour and 15 minutes and. And trying to absorb all of this, I have to tell you, you know, there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to listen to this and and just trying to keep up mentally with a lot of this, right? But it, is there room? And look, you can say either way whether you think he is potentially a guy who would have an open ear to this. Imagine sitting down with Trump for the past hour and 15 minutes and having gone through this conversation with him, how he'd feel. Would he, would he uh, shut you down or would he be open to it? I mean, what do you guys think? Well, I, I think he might be open as far as intellectually the concept of it, right? I, 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 I think he would. But what you're doing is you're proposing a situation where imagine you've got um, a fo two football teams. Where you're, and... offering him, you're offering him the situation where he'll no longer be the CEO. No, he's still the CEO, and they're they're still allowed to do everything. They're still allowed to have Social Security, everything else. The difference is you just aren't participating in it. You're just not, it, it's kind of like that Brussels sprouts church is allowed to exist, but you don't have to be a member of it. Right. But what, and, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If nobody's participating in your corporation, meaning you have no customers, your right. corporation's done. Exactly. The number one thing Trump could do, Pat, is put yeah. judges on the Supreme Court that get what we're talking about. Yes. That would be the number one thing he could do. So you guys have a list of those judges. Well, we think that uh, Clarence Thomas is waiting for Corey to get there. Yeah, well, Clarence Thomas has written just. I, I mean, the, the judiciary is not really supposed to tip their hat and tell people what to do. But Clarence, Clarence Thomas, uh, in my opinion, has really written to the people as a political class. And, and that's that's something really important. When when they use the term the people like in in state court, there's a specific definition for that. And it excludes residents. It only references citizens of the state. And that's right in the code. So um, another thing on word, like you hear a lot of people go, I'm one of the people or we the people. They don't realize how limited that definition is. Mm. Um, and as far as, uh, uh, you know, Trump putting in, you know, judges and so forth, of course, you want judges who are going to apply the Constitution. But the more that I've read cases, the more I'm finding that the reality is 
nobody has brought this argument up for maybe 80 or 90 years in any capacity for themselves. The argument about state citizenship has come up as an ancillary um, uh, detail that the court has to deal with, but none of the participants are averring Article Four citizenship. Yeah. It's something that the courts have had to kind of figure out, are they a citizen or not? And does this law, if it's upheld, does it affect citizens? And it's something that, you know, in that case that, that I referenced earlier, that um, on taxing residents, they brought up citizens in the comedy clause and then and then stated that this does not this action does not violate the comedy clause but there was no citizen there so in certain cases especially when it comes to uh, direct access to the bill of rights um, the only one that has direct access to the bill of rights are state citizens and the reason for that is state citizens were the only ones protected by the bill of rights it didn't encompass anybody else that was it and that's never changed. Now, the Fourteenth Amendment makes it so that the federal government can ensure that a one of the several states doesn't violate a state citizen or a U.S. citizen's right if they choose. But they, but they can, but the federal government themselves can violate that U.S. citizen all they want. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and, and let, the, let me circle back real quick to what Pat just said, Corey. I want to throw this in there real quick because yeah. I think where he's heading is like people are listening to this and they want to know what can they do or what's what next and. What we yeah, were doing on Agenda 31, and little ones, big ones, you know. Well, I tell you, it, it, it's it, what we were trying to do. Agenda 31 was, uh, among other things, you know, educate people. And it was right. also a platform to air out, like, what are we doing where we live? Let's let's if the weekly podcast, we got we have to do something, we have to bring something to the table. What have we been up to lately? And we we tried to raise funds. We we tried to do producers like No Agenda does, and have people donate. We raised you know a few thousand dollars. I don't, we haven't added it up, but it's not not a lot. What what we said at the time was you know the number one way that you can make a difference is funding Corey's efforts. Corey is the tip of the spear. Right. Yeah, good point. And 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 we like we raised our hand and said, hey, I mean we're talking like, you know, pay pay Corey a stipend of, you know, 30, 50, 60 grand a year so he doesn't have to go work every day at other jobs so he can just focus on this. I mean, you know, so, so, that's uh, that's a drop in the bucket to some people out there. So where, like, how, how can people donate? Tell us that, Todd. At agenda31.org. Uh, right, the top right corner. What's your strategy to make a difference? There's a link to to donate right there. And, Good. And you know, and it's you know, that's selling it by the drink, you know, and that's fine. We mm -hmm. we tried to do that, you know, but at some point we're like, hey, we've got busy lives, people, you know, family stuff happens, and we've we Corey put out a huge body of work, and he continues to do it on, on a he I mean, dude, put Tom so, Steyer, put a guy, put a billionaire like Tom Steyer on camera, and pose the put him in a corner or paint him into a corner and watch him squirm. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And Corey, before, because I think we're going to end here soon, I'm not sure, but I, and, and we'd love to come back and chat with you guys if, if you'll have us. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, Corey got uh, a filed a case. Got, uh, what level did it get to at the Supreme Court, Corey? It was docketed. It, docketed. It got docketed to the Supreme Court, and which means what I did was I met all of the procedural requirements to get a case uh, in front of the Supreme Court, but then, you know, they don't have to take a case and, and there's right. like 7,000 uh, cases a year and they only hear a couple hundred. So just getting docketed, I'm really proud of that. Having, you know, not being an attorney, there's attorneys that never get a case docketed. It's huge, guys. So, it is. Um, it is. You got something docketed. It yeah. is. And now that that I got something docketed. What was really fascinating was the, um, at least what I found to be 
just kind of the pleasantness of the clerks that were there. It was almost like they it it felt as if they were through the tone of their voice cheering me on, going, "Look, you're close, but this one isn't going to work." Is there and, a class action lawsuit with three million people that could, could could pull this off? I don't think so. I think um, the the framers really what's unique about our country was the individual nature of the Constitution. So it, it was if the Constitution was being violated and and somebody's rights were being violated, they didn't the the idea was they didn't need a group. They you would individually go and you could stand up against the entire government based on your individual rights as a state citizen. So I think the group idea is something that um, is very comforting to have a big group. Like I know having a group of people in court is really nice, right? They play less games and having a group of people to work with. But fundamentally, when you decide what your citizenship is, it's very similar to deciding your religion. It's a very personal thing. And besides donating, which I appreciate very much, and, and you know, I put out everything that I can do to do that, but the, something that I think is even more important is for people to ask the question, where do I find in my code the difference, you know, like state citizenship? In California, you find it at government code 241. That's where you find it. And you find the, uh, the United States is located in the District of Columbia at California Commercial Code 9307H. In Texas, it's also in Cal in Texas Commercial Code 9307H. It says the United States is located in the District of Columbia. But in your own code, I, I would start with maybe the um, uh, the government code for your state or whatever it is, but educate yourself on your own state. Just find that difference where it talks about a citizen of the state distinguished from a citizen of the United States. That, I think, will go a long ways to making it real for people that, oh, my gosh, I know right in the code what we're referring to. Right. And that, that leads to, like, individualism on the, on the granular level where you live. And that's one of the reasons we call their show Agenda 31. There's 3,100 counties in America. Oh, and we nice. had originally started the show with this concept of, a, like, a voters index or a, uh, a Yelp for liberty. Like, what's the freest county in America? Ah. And like an index where you could go see like, oh, no, the sheriff, that county, idea, the, the, the sheriff in that county actually, you know, like you can bring a cell phone into that courthouse. They don't treat you like a slave at the, at the entrance. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Where where is where's freedom? But it just we couldn't pull that together. That was just a lot of anyway. But what Corey's talking about is you need to look you. He's 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 becoming he is the expert in California. We can we can bore you next show with how he got uh, a chief of uh, police of Irvine filed a restraining order against him in a traffic violation that ended up uh, in his resignation. We can bore you with how we got a letter from the Secretary of State how no single California Highway Patrol officer had a, has an oath of office on file. Not a single state. one, dude. That's 7, insane. Seven thousand quote unquote sworn officers, none on file. None. That's insane. We can bore you with all those. It'll be the, the title of next next episode so will be Corey you... versus California. I do want to ask a couple <laughs> questions before I let you guys slide, though. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah, do it. Do it. Go ahead, Pat. No, uh, go. You're okay. fine. Go, you, yeah, you I, I just, I mean, I just think I, if you can concisely wrap these couple things up, I'm going to ask you because I know we're a little long on time. So people have that solid foundation. So when they chew on this episode, you know, to prep for the next episode, they really have a full Monty of what the we're talking. Simplest about. recap possible is what he's well, saying. Yeah, essentially. So struggled with this for a long time, guys. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I don't mind if you go on no, longer, but so anyway, like you said, a motor vehicle versus a vehicle. What's the differentiation between a human? human versus human being as you have found 
Well, the term human in human being, the term human modifies the term being, right? So um, old versions of Black's Law Dictionary uh, define the term human being. It says see monster. And then you look up the term monster in that same dictionary and it will say something that appears human but is animal in its quality. And the history of that entomology is really fascinating. But the whole point that anybody should take from that is what the whole game that's being played is that you're publicly educated by a, or most people are publicly educated by an institution that has a federal employer identification number. The framers set up the country that the feds are the other team. They're the other side. And now they're handling your education. So having any faith in your education that you have been taught anything about state citizenship is one of the most I think the biggest challenges people have because by omission, we've been lied to. And um, the difference between a state citizen and a federal citizen is rights. A state citizen has rights that a federal citizen does not. The court has articulated that in many decisions. A state citizen is a citizen, not a resident. A uh, U.S. citizen is a resident of the state. And so it really comes down to, are you a resident or are you a citizen of your state? And when you begin to peel back the layers from that standpoint, in my opinion, you begin to find all over that the entire game is here to pressure you into consenting to be a resident of your mm. state. And it's tied and, into the birth the birth record as well, guys. We, we talked about ends legis, creature of law. And the, the, the birth record, when you say you need your birth certificate to get X, Y, or Z done, so you go get a birth certificate. Think about that term. Certificate isn't the original record. It's a certificate that the record exists. Mm. It's a notice that the record exists. It's a certificate of the other item. The other item is the actual title that the state has on file of that record. They own that record. And when we raise our hand and say, I am that record, we are saying we are owned by the government. Well, you helped me close this out perfectly. I am going to save the Treaty of Guadalupe Eldago for the next one because that's related oh, to— Oh, fantastic. That's, I love that. That's treaty. related. Yeah. That's more related to Corey versus California. But going to what uh, 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 Todd just said, the crime of bastardy. Help me out with that one. Well, that, that's right on your birth certificate. Under the common laws of England, a bastard is not a citizen. A bastard is something that, you know, you it's it's— just existing, a bastard that just exists is a criminal and uh, and not able to go to the top schools. And that is very ancient uh, standing. Um, I, I, let's see, Leonardo da Vinci. He, his last name was not da Vinci, right? His That's the city he was from. He's one of the most famous bastards um, in history. And he was not able, because of his bastard status, he could not go to the good schools. If you look at wow. your birth certificate, if everyone goes home and, and pull out your birth certificate, and I know here in California, and I'm curious what the other states do, but get your birth certificate and look at the title next to your mom's name. First off, your dad's signature is not going to be on there. In California, the title given your mom is informant. And you can look up, just go online, look up Black's Law Dictionary. So you're looking up in a legal sense, look up the term informant and see what it means. Um, it'll also- boggling. It'll also have your mom, your mom lists herself in her maiden name, not her married name. So a woman that gives birth to a child in her maiden name, then uh, what is that child? It's a bastard, right? So the, the, that's why the common law ID is so important 
they may not try and enforce this, but in the That's past, one of the most impactful have... things you've said about being a bastard. This is very important. Uh, incredibly important. Pat, and... episode 104 of Agenda 31 is entitled Second Class Bastards, and it's all about this. There you go. Yeah. And so your the common law ID is a way to say, you know, the the government, if you if you really break it down and give them the their due, right, and really hold everyone accountable for their own actions, despite it being induced, if you identify yourself as once you've reached the age of majority, if you've identified yourself as the person on the birth record, then that's your fault, right? The way the laws are are written, you don't have to. Um, wow. And and so the common law ID was something that I used. The The impetus for that was I, I had a really bad experience in the family courts here and was involved with other fathers who, you know, were going through similar things. And um, a father that I'd met who was doing everything he could to try and earn child support for his family got a job in Tijuana, Mexico. Well, they had suspended his driver's license and his passport. So he went down there and worked for a whole week and couldn't get back across the border when he couldn't get across the border because everything was suspended for being behind on his child support, you know, his government ID was suspended. The Mexican authorities arrested him and he spent some time in a Tijuana jail where he was beaten and raped. What? And insane, right? I mean, it's just crazy. This was a, a really good man or is a really good man. And from that story, I had learned that like, wait a minute, I had just read a story from my research into English common law, and this was early on, and that's where I got the idea of um, of being able to use the, my ID to come back across the border from Mexico. So I was so incensed at what happened to this guy that um, I wanted to prove that the government has to let you back in, but they don't have to let U.S. citizens back in, right? And And that if you don't have ID, they can block you. And at the time... Let's see, there, there was war. So the, there's a, a story, and I can't remember where it's at now, but basically the King of England was off on fighting a, a battle, got word that he had to get back to the castle really quick, left just on his own and was hustling back to the castle. And on the way back into his realm, he was stopped and his own guards wouldn't let him back in because the realm was at war. And he didn't, you know, he's like, I'm the king. They're like, sure you are. And even the king was subject to having to be able to identify himself when he came back, uh, legitimately. Wow. So that that that's that crazy. Story so, is... so Corey, so you guys, Corey, what he's talking about is this: he went into Mexico with the common law ID, one yeah. of the first ones he made, right. and then came back. And how long were you detained, Corey? Uh, about five hours. I mean, they tried to scare me. They put me in a cage. <laughs> they put me next to people that were in cages. Um, I'm sorry, they didn't put me in a cage. They put me in a locked room next to people who were in cages. And that was scary. I mean, fairly, I was pretty scared, but you know, overall we just kept going. Their whole thing was to try and wear me down and say I'm a United States citizen. That, that's what they were trying to get me to say. And cause they ask you state your citizenship. And I told them Californian and I handed them my common law ID. And, um, Corey, you know, why after, you been holding out this whole time? You're Batman for fuck's sake, dude. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. I mean, that's just that's just monster cojones, so, my friend. So you're you're uh, you got that right. You're I appreciate that. Thank you very Seriously. much. This is this is stuff though. It's so elementary. This is stuff that you know eighth graders knew 120 years ago. An right. eighth grader would be yeah. like, "Well, what's the big deal, right?" So that's well, and that gets into a whole other conversation of social engineering, how they've dumbed us down so that we're trampling exactly. people for shoes and dumb shit like that. Right, right. 
Wow. And so, um, I mean, our, it, our, our business card we made, guys, says easier to fool a U.S. citizen than to convince him he's been fooled. Yeah, right. ain't that the truth? Wow. Agenda31.org, ladies and gentlemen. What? My brain is like leaking out of my ear. <laughs> well, any any final comments, Pat, Todd, Corey? I'm good, man. My, I, I enjoyed this so much. I, I really do. I, guys, thank you so much. This is, in my mind, probably the most significant episode we've done. I mean, we've covered a lot of very. That's high stuff. praise, dude. That's this very high praise. Yeah, we've, I've been wanting. I've been wanting to have this one for a long time. And when I first met Todd, and the, he told me about Corey and. You know, I, this I would never have done this conversation without you guys, man. And I'm, I thank you guys so, so very much. And Corey, I mean, stay killing it, dude. I mean, you are the tip of the spear on this. And like I said, the more, the more victories you have, the, the impact, the ripple effect is going to be absolutely huge. I mean, I can't thank we'll you enough. Money, they'll give well, some money. So, Agenda thirty-one. Yeah. I, I hope so, but I want to talk it down a little. I'm just one of the people. I'm just one. We of, understand. The You're modest. You're not many. good with the English language. We heard you in the beginning. <laughs> I get it. Well, I get the, it. The whole point is, that I really want other people to realize that, like the framers thought, that people could do this. Everything that I'm doing is yeah. not like it's not special. And well, it's, it, and I it, can't. I say it enough or underscore enough, Todd. I mean, I'm just doing show prep and listening to you. It is through fear and intimidation that they have people so shook. You know exactly. what I mean? That's why it's so kudos to you for doing what you're doing because it is not without its risks. Well, you, that, you, that, that is I'll true. Throw, I'll throw into on you go when you go to the website it, for uh, many of our episodes, just like 130 episodes there. Uh, for a good more than half, we have an intro that's four minutes and 20 oh, seconds yes. long. Oh yes, oh yes, the dopest, dopest intro. All right, and and we you know we got a little flack on the no agenda stream because people were like I've heard this intro so many times, but we played it over and over because it's the primer of what we're talking about. Right. And if you just listen to that 420 intro, it gets all the talking points into it encapsulation, including Corey talking roadside. This is what's classic. I mean, we've got audio recorders of Corey talking to, you know, cops roadside, getting pulled over, explaining stuff to them, and they're listening. I mean, he's gone through so many things. We, it could go on and on. He's, it's just crazy. There's, it, it's, we, he's been anyway. Check out. Yeah. <laughs> so next episode, I'm telling you guys, we have to do this. We have to talk to Justin Holstein. Todd, I know you can get him on board with this, where through your narration, potentially, it would be nice uh, talking Jeff and I through this. Uh, and, and yeah, we, 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 we should have ID a session like where we sit down and go over common law ID, Pat. That would be really fun. We could do that locally here. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah. I, I know enough about it to dial us in and uh, show you what I've done and, and explain some things. And that'd be cool. That'd be fun. You guys, yeah, you being the tour guide, taking Jeff and I through the process and us coming out the other side. With yeah. the ideas, I mean, because yeah. it is it is less intimidating than people than people think. I think they've just been so conditioned to the other way, like it, like right. Corey was saying, it's really elementary. So, um, again, I'm, I can't wait for part two, man. Corey versus California. I definitely want to get more into like the Tenth Amendment and and just all of this, man. There's so much to this, but um, again, thank you guys so much for your time. Um, shit, nobody has anything to say. Nobody else. I'm I'm I'm. I'm full. Tapped out. All right. <laughs> All right. You... Well, we, we covered part of it, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be on. It was a great time. Thanks, The John. rabbit hole is deep. All right, you bastards. Until next time. <laughs>